0: Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. Hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the podcast, Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I have a privilege of having a special guest on our show this week. And so let me start by introducing you to him. His name is Benjamin Gorman. So Benjamin would like to say hello to everybody.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: (laughs) So, the reason why Benjamin is, and I might slip Benjamin and go Ben every once in a while, so you guys (laughs) just know. Very normal, yes. Storting it a little bit. Um, Because Ben is an author, he's a published author as well as an independent publisher um, where he actually publishes other authors' work. So, that's why I feel like we're pretty privileged to have him on the show. Um, So, I'm going to pick his brain for all of us that are working our way towards publication. And then he's also going to share with us a little bit about his writing journey, as well as his newest work that will be coming out. So super jam-packed episode, so I'm looking forward to it. So let me ask you this first, Ben, give us a um, reference of location where you live in the Pacific Northwest.
1: Sure. I live in Independence, Oregon, which is the perfect name for a town for an independent publishing company.
0: (laughs) It certainly is.
1: Outside of Salem, uh, about two hours from Portland here in Oregon.
0: Oh, I love it. I love independence. I've been several times. Love, love, love. And um, so perfect, perfect. So let's dive in. Well, let me talk, ask you a question about your background. Cause you know, I had the privilege of previewing and, and scoping out your bio a little bit before you came on, but share with the listeners what you do in your day job. Cause of course I love it. I'm drawn towards this, you know, we're similar right. in some ways. So what do you do as a day job?
1: Yeah, I am a high school English teacher, so uh, depending on how people feel about their own high school English experience, they you know immediately have an emotional reaction to that. But uh, if you enjoyed your high school English classes, uh, which I hope you did, then yes, I am that high school English teacher. <laughs> My students have a lot of fun.
0: Oh, that's so good. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad you're, you know, inspiring the next generation of authors out there. And I love it. Um, So do you do creative writing in the fiction or do you do literature?
1: I do. I'm really spoiled. I not only get to teach two classes of advanced creative writing, but I get to teach a class uh, science fiction literature.
0: Oh my gosh, lucky. That's <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> the dream so it's
1: job. A blast. My, yeah. I, I call it my geek safe space and uh, my 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 little nerdlings love it. and we have a Oh, lot. I bet
0: they do. I bet, you know, I had great experiences with my English teachers. I loved them, loved my college English teachers. They all were so great. It helped me in, and not all of the listeners, but I just was thinking about this today. I, I have dyslexia. And so being a writer, it always has been something where I had to be encouraged and learn how to overcompensate for that in my writing. And, um, and my teachers were phenomenal at, at patience and teaching me how to edit, you know, without, yeah. so, so commending you, thank you so much. And and I'm sure you've inspired plenty. So that's fantastic. So let's jump a little bit here. So you do, you, you're working with, um, budding hopeful writers, you know, in high school, getting them ready for college writing, I'm sure too. And so, yeah. Um, so then, take us a little bit into the transition because I love the title of your independent publishing house. It's it's titled. Um, its name is not a pipe publishing. So first off, I need to know why it's called that
1: because it's sure. So it's then- a reference to the painting by Magritte. Uh, there's this famous painting that many of your viewers will have seen that is a painting of a pipe, mm-hmm. and uh, in uh, kind of a brown pipe on a beige background. And it says at the bottom in French, "It's painted onto the painting. This is not a pipe." in French. <laughs> and it's a reference to the idea that what we see in art is representational. It's not the thing in and of itself. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because our publishing company publishes exclusively fiction, nothing that we present to readers is the thing in and of itself. And yet we are hopeful that we are reaching for kind of a, a deeper truth than, than, than merely a true story. So uh, mm-hmm. all of our writing is representational. It's not the thing. It's the representation of the thing it's not a pipe
0: oh it's fantastic i'm glad you explained that to me um because when i first saw the first thing i thought of was a pipe dream, you know, that authors right. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, I have a pipe dream of being an author kind of a thing. So I
1: like I'm, that. I had never thought of it that way. But yes, <laughs> it's not your your desire to be an author is not a pipe dream. No, you make that a reality.
0: Well there you can borrow if you want because I think it's such a great thing and it's something that I'm learning, you know, as I have interviewed a lot of authors, it's it's so much work to be an author and actually get published. Oh, and yeah. um, and people will give up and I totally understand the like, giving up Aspect of it, so so I love it. Okay, so fantastic. So tell us a little bit about your journey of publishing. Um, did it come out of the fact that you wanted to write and publish yourself, and you just thought it would be best for you to do your own company, or or kind of give us the genesis of the? the yeah, company that's itself? that's
1: exactly right. So I went the uh, the traditional route, and I I think I had written. The, the the count is tricky, and as many of your, your uh, authors will know about how many books you have written in your life, because some of them are, you know, nearly complete, and some mm-hmm. of them are, I had one that I split, but I think I had written seven novels before I was published, mm-hmm. uh, and six or seven, depending on how you count, and, and uh, was going the traditional route, so I was looking for agents, and I was, you know, shopping these pieces around. And I wrote uh, the novel, The Sum of Our Gods, and mm-hmm. I was sending it out to agents and they were saying, this book is wonderful. It's funny. We really enjoy it. It's too niche. You need to be going to uh, small presses. There's no way that this book of, of comic religious satire is ever going to be you know, carried on the shelves of your local Walmart. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this has to be, uh, you know, you have to go through a small press or you should indie publish this. Yeah, And, uh, and so it was, it was, you know, their support was really important, but the most important person in terms of support was my wife, Paige.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: she said, this book is so good. You can- have, you know, you've, you've, you've tried, you've gotten your, you know, your, your uh, rejection letters from the publishing companies and the agents, this needs to be out in the world. And she really encouraged me. And so I said, okay, we'll publish this one book. uh, And we'll, we'll, we'll indie publish it. We'll publish this ourselves, but we really should, uh, you know, create a, a, a logo and an imprint so that it has that, you know, extra, uh, layer of legitimacy. Uh, mm-hmm. and so we created not a pipe publishing in mm-hmm. the state of Oregon makes it very easy to start a new company. It's you know, like $60 to register yeah. a new company. So yeah. we started a company, but it only had one author. I used to joke with folks that we were the smallest publishing company in the world. <laughs> and then, uh, when my second one was coming out uh, a couple of years later, which was YA, far more upmarket. I was really torn because I thought this is something where we could go with a bigger publishing company and and it could get picked up. Uh, Corporate high school is a a YA dystopia and it was hitting when kind of YA dystopias were the thing. Yeah. Um, And it was in the height of the public ed reform movement. And it's very much about, you know, uh, schools being taken over by corporations, but, you know, turned up, uh, in, in some distant future to, to, uh, an extreme degree. Mm-hmm. So it was very marketable and we had to decide, do we want to go back to the traditional publishing route or do we want to turn this company into something bigger? Yeah. And uh, I had made so many mistakes in the marketing process that I <sighs> learned from. And one of the things I've learned is that is the way that you, you learn how to market is exactly. you do it incorrectly.
0: Exactly. Uh, well, all of
1: gonna... authors Out there who <laughs> struggle to market their work should not feel bad about that. That's yeah. how you learn. You yeah. you advertise in one way and find out, oh, that kind of advertising doesn't pay off. And then exactly. you try something else. And that's <laughs> very normal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but I thought, hey, I can help out a lot of other authors to not make the mistakes that I've made. Uh-huh. Uh, let's bring them into this company and kind of create a family that is supportive of one another, a family of authors. And so we started taking on other authors in 2015. Uh-huh. And now we have Let's see, 10 authors and 17 titles, is that right?
0: That's fantastic. Well, I'm looking at the website and I counted 10, so yeah. <laughs> so, but I can imagine it turned into, well, well, tell me, because I know what happened with me when I started the podcast. Um, it was a great idea, it got started on it, and it's turned into another job. It was uh, uh, right?
1: Oh, yes, um, that is so correct. Yes, absolutely. Uh,
0: I have to yeah, schedule so. all my time now around my day job my what, what I call the side hustle, which is my podcast and writing career. And um, so, so talk me through that for you. I mean, now you have um, a lot of competition in your time for writing your yes. own work. Plus you really do want to give a great service to these authors that you're bringing in. Right. So
1: exactly. And th- so, yeah, that, the the time management piece, I wish that I could tell you, I have figured out how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> If I had, I would write a book about it and I would yeah. never have to write anything yeah, again. Let's and let's sell
0: would, it, would, right. Would <laughs> um,
1: no, the, the time management piece is very challenging uh, mm-hmm. because like you said, my authors deserve to have all the attention that I would have given one of my authors You know, when one of our first books was coming out. Well, now that we have 10, I can't shortchange these authors exactly. now. And so mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I really want to give them the, all the the attention that they deserve there are a lot of things that I've learned to do more quickly and more yeah. efficiently. Uh, so that's good for their, their sake. Yeah. Uh, but still they, you know, they, they deserve a lot of time and attention and yeah. that does take away from my writing time. Um, yeah. and then my I don't want to shortchange my students who also exactly. deserve to have mm-hmm. my attention in terms of, you know, grading their writing and giving them yeah. feedback. And yeah. so yeah, I've basically given up television, which yeah.
0: unfortunate you know, <laughs> <Sometimes laughs> and,
1: and uh, you know, true detective. I've got a few shows left, but basically yeah. I've given up uh, TV, which is something that I, I miss uh yeah, and uh, exactly. you know and i also want to give enough time to my family and really exactly. make sure that my son knows that he's a priority and my wife knows that she's a priority in my life so balancing my time is something that is very challenging
0: it is and i don't think i know i haven't had one author or publisher or editor cuz i'm now expanding the podcast a little bit out and we're meeting with publishers and editors and bringing them on to give us more advice as we grow in our journey and I haven't found one person that has mastered the time management skill well. I mean, to the point of where um, it, it is a balancing act, you know, and, and I do the same thing. I have students, so I work in higher ed and I, I have the luxury of working from home, but I work with students, um, doing their bachelor's degree. My students, when I am working for my students, I'm working with them and they're right. my focus, right? And then when my day is done then I got to squeeze in my workout and my writing and my cooking for the family, and you know, and then the podcast. So it's kind of funny. So, so wonderful. I, I love the fact that you realize that your authors also need as much attention, you know, as your first one would. So that's great. And I, I'm sure they appreciate that. Um, talk me through a little bit about, cause I was on your website and my listeners, you guys can go uh, to Ben's website too, and it'll be in the show notes. Um, you, you have a very specific group of genres that you're publishing. Kind of talk us through the, the decision and what you would prefer to publish and the de- decision around that.
1: Ah, so that's, uh, yeah, that's a, that was a really important part of our branding and figuring out who we were going to be as a company. We know that there are genres that we could publish that would be more profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we limit ourselves to the genres we most like to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's because when we put out a, a call for submissions, we will get a hundred books in two yeah, weeks. yeah, And so some of those will be wonderful and some of those will be terrible. And mm-hmm. we have to kind of navigate that and say, okay, we are going to, you know, Read all of these. Give them, you know, the the, the time and the attention to decide what, which are the ones that we're going to publish. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so what that's meant is when there are genres that we don't enjoy as much, even if we get a book, we we will get submissions outside of the genres we publish all the time. Yeah, and sometimes it's tempting. Somebody will say, "I'm sending you my western." Yeah, and we very clearly are saying we don't publish westerns. That's not yeah. our thing. But yeah, authors are desperate, and I understand. When I was sending my stuff out, I would kind of push those boundaries too. And so folks will send us stuff and we have to remind ourselves if we were to publish this Western because it is so wonderful, we would then have to read 100 Westerns, uh-huh. which would not be the same caliber next year.
0: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm.
1: So during those open submissions times, we really limit ourselves. And it also makes it easier to say no and, and not crush people's feelings. You know, we want to be sensitive to that too. Yeah. I, I know that getting rejected is hard. Mm-hmm. And so when we can say to somebody, look, we're rejecting your book because it's just not in our, our wheelhouse. It's not yeah. what we do. You would be better served to find somebody who is really an expert at marketing, you know, uh, horror or romance or whatever. Um, then that is, uh, that, 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 that makes it a little, it cushions the blow a little bit for them.
0: Yeah, it does. Uh,
1: so we limit ourselves to science fiction, Fantasy and paranormal; those are our favorites. I love it. Next year, we are stretching ourselves a little bit. We are publishing one book that is a thriller that has no science fiction or fantasy elements, uh, wow. and so we know that again, that's going to open the door to a lot of thriller submissions. But this one was just so good, uh, and and kind of a, it's got a it's got a, a political bent that we want to get out in the world. It's a, it's a really challenging piece uh, by a gay author who's kind of asking the reader to. A, Explore the concept of just how far uh, uh, you know a gay person has the the right to go in Uh defending themselves from homophobia Uh and it's challenging and it's really Uh exciting and wonderful. And so that, uh, that, that book, we just said, that's gotta be in the world. It's so good. Um, and then we are also publishing a book that is a romance novel, but with a, just enough of a fantasy twist that it's kind of going to pull us into the romance field. And we're going to have to learn a lot about marketing within Uh the romance world, but it's still Kind of in our wheelhouse, and that it's got uh-huh. this fantasy element. And my wife, especially, loved the book so much. She was like, "We have to publish this. It's just <laughs> so much fun." So oh, I love it. That'll be Marin Anderson Sparks, and I'm really excited about that one too.
0: Oh, that's exciting. Well, I think it's great. I think it's super important if you venture into anything, um, particularly you know a business which you're doing, um, that you have a very clear model in your mind of where you're going. You know, you need to plan it out and what you want to do, but I sounds like you guys are being a little flexible too as you've grown, you know, so that's, that's fantastic. So I love that. So I also read on your websites right now, you guys are currently not taking submissions. So if people are interested in submissions, the easiest way to do that is to sign up for your um, subscription. And then you guys will notify the whole subscription when submissions are open. Is that how you do it?
1: And we use social media for that. So follow us on, 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 on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, and we when we announce that we are accepting submissions, we announce it on all those platforms. Yeah. So if you're on one of them, certainly follow Not a Pipe Publishing. If you're on all three, follow us on all of them so that you yeah. won't miss it.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And
1: then, yeah, we announce that, and then and we really only will keep it open for a couple of weeks, and we will say very clearly in all those announcements, you know, hey, we're open for submissions for yeah. the next week, and now it's only got a couple more days to get yours in. So. Uh, those are those are pretty limited and and, uh, and it's because we get so many so fast.
0: Yeah, yeah I, and I can imagine because you know you're right when you're when you're an author and you're working on getting your book out, you know you can you, you probably would know this that you hit everything you can try to hit' <laughs> so. right. Yeah. Well,
1: and we accept simultaneous submissions. So a lot of authors who are currently waiting on, you know, some agent out there, uh, they, they, you know, they see that post and they say, I don't have to wait on this other person. I can send it to Not-A-Pipe at the same time. And the reason gotcha. we do that is because we are, uh, you know, a small independent publisher. We're not paying uh, advances. We pay yeah. all of our, we pay a larger percentage on the back end, mm-hmm. but we can't afford to, you know, give somebody a giant advance. And so I don't feel like we can say to them, will you wait on us, you can't be trying to find somebody who can pay you in advance. Yeah, if I an can get an advance, wonderful, great, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. we can't do that. And so in the meantime, we try and make it as possible, you know, as friendly as possible for, for, for them to get their books to us and for us to see if we can nab them while we can.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, here's a great question about advancements. And maybe you can help clarify it for me in my mind and others. Um, I come from music background. My husband was, a, a um, musician who actually was in contract and, um, pretty decent. But what I learned about advancements during that time period, and I don't know if it's just the music industry, so let me know if you know this is true or not. Our advancement was more or less like a loan. So what would happen is that the advancement would come to us and then um, when they would go out on the road or they need to sell and dice things like that, um, the cells would go towards the advancement, not necessarily to us, of cells of certain products. And um, I didn't know that. So, is it similar? Do you know? In it
1: absolutely is. It's yeah. it's uh, it's an advance on the company's expectation of how much money they will make,
0: mm-hmm. and the yeah. agent
1: will tell you they want to get you as big an advance as possible, so that it's kind of the 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 guaranteed money. Yeah, and then. The, the, the trick of it is unless you sell more than the amount of that advance, mm-hmm. uh, you will never see anything else. That's, that's, that's it. True. You're going to get that advance and that's it. And then you, you have taken advantage essentially of the company they have lost by giving you an advance that's too large. Yes. Um, yes. If they give you an advance that's smaller then they are saying to you, we don't really think this book is going to make a whole lot of money. And, mm-hmm. uh, the the so the from an agent's perspective they want to get an advance that will you know that exceeds the amount that the company will make Mm -hmm. from the from the publishing company's perspective they want to give as small an advance as possible
0: exactly Um, yeah
1: and that sends a kind of a bad message to you as an author if the publishing company is saying to you we you know especially if it's one of the big five where they could afford to but they're giving you a tiny advance they're saying we don't think this is going to make a lot of money yeah, yeah. Are really upfront about the fact that we just can't afford to give advances, and most small publishers can't. Yeah. And so instead, we say we give a significantly higher percentage than those companies do on the back end. Yeah. And that encourages the authors to kind of participate in promoting mm-hmm. their own books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our authors really team up together and promote one another. Yeah. Uh, and that makes for this really positive family kind of feeling because we're all trying to see if we can get our books in front of readers' eyeballs. Yeah.
0: I love that. I love the change in the model. And I think it's only possible because of advancement in technology that the, that model that you're using is available, that you can network socially and you can, you know, not, you don't have to do an advancement. You can sign a contract where you're going to get a little more and the back end of the sales of the book. Um, but you, I love the fact that authors are a little more in charge of the marketing and where they're mm-hmm. going to drive, you know, and their readership. And I, I love all that. That's a part of it, of uh, the independent publishing, um, industry that I'm drawn to more so than anything that's big, just because I've had experience with the music cells, you know, and I'm like, oh This is something that I would have never known had we not sold units of CDs and sales like that and realized, oh, we're not getting any money back. Uh (laughs) There's no money coming in. That's experience. You know, I'm glad we have the experience, but it changes my view as an author of where I want to go as far as publishing. So so yeah, well, thank you for clarifying that. I think that's great information. Let me ask you one more question about the publishing industry. And this is the, the big heavy question that I'm sure authors want me to ask. Um, and then we'll get into your own personal writing because I'm, I'm very interested in that too. So, so Ben, what is your top advice to give authors? You probably see hundreds of manuscripts a year. Um, so if we can narrow it down to maybe two um, top tips for authors, and it as far as publishing or submitting their manuscripts to a publisher?
1: Uh, Sure. I would say my first one is find, whether you're looking for an agent or a small press, uh, find a a place that is a good fit for you and really kind of defend your right to have an agent that you feel comfortable with or have a small press that you feel comfortable with that is serving your interests. Uh, So often authors think of themselves as, you know, the, the, the desperate, uh, folks who are desperately looking for approval, and, and you know, we we need other folks to say yes. Uh, your book's going to be put out into the world, and that puts us at a disadvantage in the in, a, in the marketplace mm-hmm. where folks take advantage of us. And uh, and there are some, you know unethical actors out there. Uh, there there's some really sketchy stuff going on, and then there are people who are not. I wouldn't say unethical, but they don't they don't. Their primary concern is not supporting their authors' work, making their authors uh, you know, feel encouraged, uh, to continue. And like you said, this, this business can, you know, there are folks who burn out because it's Uh very difficult. So find an agent, find a a publisher who makes you feel encouraged, who feels like they, they, they match your values. Uh Um, One of the big things we did was we, uh, uh, accepted Camilla Shamsi's challenge to only publish women authors during the year of 2018. Oh, that's fantastic! <laughs> yeah, we were one of only two publishing companies in the world who did this.
0: She wrote wow. this great piece
1: in the Guardian and said the the challenge in the publishing industry is is it's institutional bias. It's mm-hmm. that it's, it's not that any individual is saying you know next year we want to uh, you know be mean to women. They're saying, well, what what sold best last year? Well, yeah. we should do that. Well, what got the awards last year? Well, we should do that. Well, what got on bookstore shelves last year? And if you always think in terms of what did well last year, you'll go all the way back to Homer. And the only people who will get published are white men. And so people have to kind of take affirmative action and say, we think it is important to increase the diversity of voices in the industry, and we're going to kind of push ourselves to do that. And so for one year, we only published women authors. And because we announced that and made that a big deal, we attracted these fantastic authors. These women are so talented. Their books are so good. And now they're sticking with us because they felt supported and we're getting to publish their sequels and continue to work with them. So that has been what's really put us on the map. We got, we got press around the world. We were, there was a piece about us in the times of India. Like there was a piece about us in a literary journal in Italy that I could not read because I don't speak Italian. Um, But it was really wonderful to see that this, this word kind of spread that that we were making this commitment. And Mm -hmm. I think authors should do that. They should, find a place that reflects their values. And so if you're looking at the library of, that is published by a particular agent or a particular publishing company, and you're saying, I don't feel comfortable with the things that they publish, I don't want to be associated with that, mm-hmm. you are not obligated. You can stick with folks who publish what you want, you know, the, the body of work that you want to be a part of.
0: hmm brilliant i love that advice thank you and inspiring and also thanks for sharing that that aspect of publishing women you know during that time frame that is uh uh totally exciting my listeners know i'm very much on board with those kind of values so yeah.
1: it was really really cool it was i mean it allowed us to be we we got up and we gave some panel uh speeches at some various conferences we yeah. spoke at comic-con this last year here in portland that was really cool yeah. and uh and folks were very supportive and encouraging of us, by and large. Of course, there were a few people who were, you know, saying, this is terrible. I, you know, it was, you know, old white men who were saying, yeah, oh, this course. is the worst thing ever, you're, <laughs> you're discriminating against me. And oh. my response was always, you go ahead and try and write a book as good as these women and we'll consider it. <laughs> Because that is not something I was worried about.
0: No, beautiful job on the comeback there. <laughs> it's great. That's awesome. Well, I am so excited um, that you shared that. And I think that does give listeners, at least it gives me some freedom when I start when I start looking at seriously looking for either my agent or my the publishing house. I really feel strongly about making sure that the relationship is there, because the relationship is gonna help drive my inspiration and drive me. more than anything. And so I think that's very, very important that we have to value that aspect. Um,
1: Right. Well, and remember, you're the talent. And you have to have the confidence to realize that you should find somebody who also recognizes you're the talent. Yes. You're the one producing the content, and they need to be encouraging of you. Rather than you saying, please, please, please publish me, they should be saying, I am so excited to publish your work because it's really good. Yes. And so we need to kind of demand that of the people in the industry that they believe in us. We're the yeah. We're the content creators. Yeah,
0: I love it. Very good. Thank you so much. Okay, so let's dive into your personal writings. <laughs> let's talk about you as the author and the 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 creator. So share with us, um, I think you have four titles. Share with us those four titles, what they're about. Um, And then you're going to share with us actually a title that's coming out. So this podcast will come out, it's supposed to come out the day before the release of this book. So (laughs) yeah,
1: I'm really excited. Uh, So yeah, yeah, my my first book came out in 2013. It turns out, that uh, since we started the company, I apparently publish a book every two years. That, that <laughs> it was never uh, something that I, I knew about myself, but it takes me a year to write a book and a year to edit uh, oh, okay. and to go through the full kind of process and cover design and marketing and everything. It's a two-year, it turns out it's a two-year cycle. So mm-hmm. in 2013, uh, The Sum of Our Gods was released, and that is a Sum S-U-M, and that is a book about a uh, man who's been cursed to have coffee with God once a week and listen yeah. to God complain.
0: <laughs> um, and it's
1: fun. It's funny. Uh, but it. it's, you know, it's dealing with some heavy stuff. Uh, my students will say to me, is this book, you know, is this book something I would enjoy? And they're in high school and I say, well, it's, it deals with a lot of adult ideas. It's, it's a comedy, but it's adult comedy. And their interpretation of adult comedy is like that it's sexual comedy. Yeah, And yeah. really it's, you know, God is trying to decide whether or not he should retire and his wife is pressuring him to retire. Oh, that's hilarious. And Jesus is trying to decide whether or not he should get divorced from the goddess of the church who is cheating huh. on him. And <laughs> these are not concepts that the high schoolers are particularly concerned about, you know, exactly. divorce and, uh, and, and, and retirement, but it makes for a very funny book because they're, are they are concepts you know, that are wrapped around,
0: around uh, Jesus deity or God, our deity of the Western culture. So I love it. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> it's,
1: it's really fun. Yeah. And like Jesus goes to Muhammad for advice and you know, so it's, it's, it's fun.
0: I love it. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> nice. And then my, my next one is corporate high school. And that's mm-hmm. the one that was the, uh, the YA dystopia about a world, I said it, 99 years in the future, mm-hmm. uh, and it's happening a lot faster than I thought. <laughs> it's about a world where uh, big corporations have taken over the schools, or at least they've created an alternative set of, you know, charter schools and private schools and that have then taken all of the funds away from the public schools. So the public schools now are only for, you know, the kids with severe disabilities or, 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 or language barriers or whatever, and everybody else goes to these these schools that are owned by the corporations and then at those schools serve corporate interests. So they oh. educate children in how to, you know, be a part of the corporation. And the corporation as a consequence has been able to get rid of all the le- regulations against monopolies and become one giant corporation. And I actually wanted to call the book Walmart High School. Yeah. And, uh, Because I heard that Walmart was getting into the charter school movement and I talked to an attorney who'd worked for Walmart. She said, you can do this and you will eventually win in court. You will be allowed to call (laughs) your book Walmart High School, but they will keep you in court for 30 years. And why would you put yourself
0: through that torture?
1: Yeah. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go with corporate high school. Um, And uh, so that one was, that one did well. It was an Amazon bestseller and a lot of folks really wanted me to write a sequel and in the age of Trump, I just don't feel like writing dystopias right now. <laughs> it's just not, oh, not something I want to be dwelling on.
0: I totally understand. Trust me.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah. then my, uh, my next one was um, The Digital Storm. And that one is, I took a Shakespeare's The Tempest
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I retold it as a science fiction story. We were I doing an activity in my creative writing class where students had to take a chapter of The Tempest as we, as we read it mm-hmm. and rewrite it in some mm-hmm. other style. Uh-huh. And I started do you know, when my students write, I try and write with them because I think uh-huh. that's really important that they see that I'm modeling this. That this yeah. is actually something I'm engaged in. Yeah. And so I was writing with them and then I was enjoying myself so much that I just continued and rewrote the entire play. I love it. In My version the characters are artificial intelligence programs in mm. digital island. Uh and and you know, Caliban's a virus and and the 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 bankers come into the system of their bank system to try and figure out what's going wrong because there's been this viral attack the storm I love and, it uh, yeah so it's a, it's a lot of fun
0: I love it and I'm, I'm technology driven because I, I work in the college of IT for the university and I train my my bachelor students are going towards networking and security so I'm like right on that one that one sounds because oh, yeah, it's would.
1: all about uh, uh, what they perceive to be a hack but then it turns out it's coming from inside their own system yeah. from an AI program <laughs>
0: I love it. So great. I have a budding sci-fi book I'm working on percolating in the back of my mind that is very much similar. I am in a writer's group and one of my writer group, fellow authors, he's been published several times. He's working on a different version of an older story. I won't say it because I wanted to come on the podcast and talk about it. And he's doing it in a more modern time now. And I'm like, my favorite book of all times is very, um, back in the Victorian age, her story. And I'm like, I'm going to redo that someday in very yeah. modern, modern sci-fi because I already have it all in my head. <laughs> I want to do well, it. Well, I love that
1: idea of taking, I you mean, know, you know, I have students who say, well, I, I don't feel like I'm a real writer. I just write fan fiction. And I have to remind them, that's all Shakespeare ever wrote. He only had two original plays. Everything else is fan fiction. There's nothing wrong with fan fiction and with retelling great stories. You know, all the the Greeks were constantly retelling myths. Very, very normal. And it's, you know, there's a great pedigree. So absolutely choose that great fair, fair use novel from the 1800s that you love and retell it. And, uh, people will love that. So my friend Cal Spivey, Uh, He is writing Twelfth Night as a but with trans characters, which is so perfect for that play because there's all this gender bending that's going on in that show anyway. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really excited to read his play. I think it's going to be really or his novel version, I think, will be really cool.
0: That'd be fantastic! I have to bring him on because that sounds like something right in my um, my listeners' alley too. So definitely, yeah,
1: and he's a Northwest author as well.
0: Fantastic! <laughs> so we'll get him connected. So great. So um, what? And is that your that was your third book or your second? I lost. That was track. my
1: third. Yeah, it was the third. Digital Storm, uh-huh. and then my newest one is titled "Don't Read This Book." <laughs> and I hope that people are feeling rebellious and uh, we'll, we'll you know, see the title and we'll say, well, that says not to read it. I think I'm going to anyway. Yep. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, the story uh, is about a book. So the, the book in the title that it's referencing is the book within the book. Mm-hmm. And uh, the story is about this woman who is the greatest author in the world. She doesn't know that. Um, and she has been identified by three witches, a la, you know, Shakespeare's, uh, mm-hmm. Macbeth, three witches, yeah. um, that they inform this evil necromancer that he can kidnap her and make her write a book that is so good that if anybody reads it, they will die. And he can uh-huh. use this to kill, to end the world. And she wakes up, uh, with this manuscript, she's been rescued, but if she, if this manuscript falls into the wrong hands, then it will be the end of the world. So it allowed me to play with this idea of can I tell a story about something better than I could ever write uh and and kind of push myself to you know to to, to play with that notion so in the same way like in Pulp Fiction when they open up the suitcase yeah. and there's just the yeah. glowing light that's coming out yeah, exactly. there's a book within my book that's better than anything I could ever write about um <laughs> and, and yet that I get to write the story of her story
0: That is brilliant. I'm so excited for this to be coming out. I I think I'm going to have to read all your books because, and, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, I do, I have quite a few authors come on and I get almost every copy of their book. Either they send them to me or I get to, you know, purchase them, but I think yours are going on my to-do read lists for sure.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I try and give my readers something that they will enjoy
0: yeah i love it i love it okay so let's let our listeners that are avid readers as well let's give them a taste of of this work so i'm gonna as all my listeners know i go quiet while my authors are reading so we don't get my dogs barking in the background all that distractive stuff so Ben, set us up to what that you're gonna read with as much information as you can share without giving you know too much information and then we'll go into the reading and i'll sit back and listen and then at the end i'll take us out of the podcast
1: Sure. So this is, I'm going to read right from the very beginning of Don't Read This Book. So this hits store shelves tomorrow, the day after this podcast airs. So that's perfect. So if anybody enjoys it, uh, it is available for pre-order, pre-order it, and it'll come to you tomorrow. Uh, So this is right from chapter one. If there was a single worst possible way to wake up, Magdalena Wallace found it. Before she even opened her eyes, the pain ambushed her. Her back ached, her wrists burned, her ankles screamed. She smelled something strong, a scent that struck the nose the way amateur violinists attack the ear. Worse, Lena felt fairly certain she was the source of the odor. She woke sitting upright in a stiff chair with a hard back. She couldn't remember how she'd come to be there. And someone kept slapping her face. Lena... She didn't recognize the stranger's voice. The woman yelled her nickname and hit her hard, then grabbed her face, pushing the skin of her inner cheek between her teeth. Lena moaned as her mouth was forced open. She drooled a little. Some part of her was aware of this drooling, despite her confusion, and she added shame to her list of discomforts. The woman released her face, probably in disgust, Lena assumed, and went back to hitting her, but these were far more gentle pats on her cheeks, and now the woman almost cooed. Lena, Magdalena, wake up, honey we've got to wake up and get moving. Belle knew just how long Lena had been sitting in the chair. She knew the entire experience would be terrifying for Lena. I don't have enough time to be gentle with her, Belle thought. Gotta hurry. Lena struggled to open her eyes. Her eyelids felt stuck together with crusties, and she blinked to open them. She'd heard she had a hard time focusing. A lamp glowed on the table, and some meager fluorescence must have been hanging behind her, but she could barely make out anything in the room's dim light. Then, for a brief second, she experienced the first pleasant thing since waking. The woman's face, very close to her own, was astoundingly beautiful. Not only was everything airbrush model pretty and symmetrical, but when Lena opened her eyes, Belle smiled at her. Belle was a white woman with red hair cut so short on the sides that it looked like gray stubble, and her hair on top was gelled into something resembling a gout of flame. A dozen small gold rings hung from her ears, framing her face in twinkles of the lamp's reflection. Most striking, Bell's green eyes clearly communicated she was glad Lena was awake and aware and alive. Finding someone who is happy you exist goes a long way to improving anyone's morning. When a man's voice came from behind Lena, Bell didn't break eye contact, and that made Lena feel even better. Bell, the man's voice said. Bell held Lena's gaze. Jezebel, the man said. Then Bell did look away, and Lena felt all of her pains come back in a wave. Bell looked up over Lena's shoulder. I know, I know, I'm going as fast as I can, but we'll move faster if she can walk herself. Maybe, might be faster if I carried her, Nando said. But it was clear he was talking to himself rather than making a real suggestion. Lena, Bell said. Lena did her best to suck in her drool in the most dignified way she could manage. As always, there was no dignified way to accomplish this task. She blinked some more, and then she tried to shake the pain out of her head, and she muttered, "Mmm." Lena, Bell said, in a second, I'm going to try to help you stand up. Lena thought she would impress this strange woman by showing she was ready to stand. She leaned forward and placed her hands on the arms of the chair. Bell's hand fell on her shoulder and pushed her into the seat's back. Bell's hand was surprisingly strong, but her attempt to keep Lena calm was too late. Even as Lena fell against the chair's back, she was already beginning to panic. When she'd set her hands against the arms of the chair, she'd felt the source of the pain in her wrists and she'd instantly deduced the source of the pain in her ankles, too. She also heard the sound of the chains rattling against the side of the chair. She was manacled. Heavy metal cuffs wrapped around her wrists and ankles, chaining her down. Worse, she was a black woman chained up in a room with two white people. She could tell the man was white by his accent, though she heard something foreign in it. Italian, maybe, she thought. She didn't analyze this information clearly, though. All of it hit her at once, and she sucked in air to prepare to scream. Bell's hand was over her mouth faster than she could see it move. She still screamed, but the sound was a pathetic, muffled little fart of a scream that mostly came out of her nose. While she screamed, she began to flail. Her legs were chained to the chair, and she could barely move. So when she strained, she mostly pivoted at the waist, twisting in her seat. Her hands were more free because the the chains were attached to the table behind Bell. But when she yanked them taut, one came up and hit Bell in the underside of her forearm. There was a hissing sound, almost as loud as Lena's squashed scream but it sounded like stereo some of it coming from the point of contact and some coming from bell's sharp intake of breath bell kept her hand on lena's mouth and whisper shouted over the top of lena's head nando i'm going to need some help here lena could feel the man close behind her between screams bell said ready A switch ready nando didn't say anything His presence behind her did not make Lena feel better, and she inhaled through her nose to prepare another scream. As she did so, Bell's hand disappeared, again too fast for her to see, and another hand, meatier and rougher, wrapped around her mouth. Lena screamed into Nando's hand. Bell stepped back and to the side, away from the chain between Lena and the table, and she let Lena scream herself out. Bell rubbed the burn on her arm and winced. It still surprises me every time how much it hurts, she said. Well, that's why they use silver, Nando mansplained. Bell frowned at him, hard. We talked about this. Sorry, Nando said, chastened. Bell looked back at Lena. Okay, have another scream if you want to, but then I need you to listen to me. And that's a good place for us to stop.
0: Oh my goodness, I'm hooked. (laughs) I can't wait. So the book comes out tomorrow, listeners, so you better go grab your copy now, because... It's fantastic, exciting, exciting. Thank you so much. So, listeners, this has uh, been a fantastic um, episode with Benjamin Gorman, uh, author, teacher, and um, independent publisher for Not a Pipe Publishing. I am sure that if you have questions, you can um, send them my way. Maybe we'll bring be Ben on with some more questions about the publishing um, industry and how to get started, that kind of thing. And I would love that. I would love it too. And, and we'll probably get some of your other authors on that you, you uh, represent. We can wrangle them into a podcast so we can hear about they
1: are, they are all great. I will definitely connect you.
0: Awesome. We love that. So, Ben, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. And so looking forward for your book.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter, where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.